What's happening, everyone? Welcome back. It's Jay Scott. It is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope you're doing well and starting the week off on a strong note. Just always make mention that we are part of the Pantheon Podcast community. You can check out Pantheon Podcasts on PantheonPodcast.com and all social media platforms at Pantheon Pods. You can also check out The Hook Rocks on all social media platforms like Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search up The Hook Rocks. We are approaching our 400th episode and our five, you know, oh no, our five-year, our four-year anniversary and our 500th episode. I got it changed around. So um, very exciting stuff. Looking forward to, hopefully, fingers crossed, the shows go as planned and uh, very excited about them. So hopefully, hopefully they, they, um, they come through as I am Eagerly awaiting confirmation. But while you're waiting for that, check out some of our recent episodes. We just had Toshi from the Jimmy Kimmel Live show on the episode or on the podcast. It was a great episode talking with him about his journey from Japan to the Jimmy Kimmel Live show and all the stuff like jamming with James Brown prior to getting the Jimmy Kimmel gig and some of his side projects too as well. We welcome Zach from the band Abrams, a great new band out of Denver, Colorado, which uh, was on many lists of the Groove Council for the 2022 Top Albums of the Year Award, or rankings, I should say. So check out that. Zach was great, uh, great band to check out. Um, great album, In the Dark, is is a fantastic album for 2022. And Josh Todd also joined us from Buck Cherry, Max Fry from The Lost Hearts, great new band out of Nashville. And some of our previous episodes that are worth checking out, Kip Winger, Richie Kotzen, Rick Nielsen, George Lynch, uh, some great bands, the Weathered Souls, great new band out of Nashville, too, as well. And or actually, they're out of Texas. Pardon me. Uh, but check out all those episodes and more. And uh, we'll be bringing you a lot of great content here in June. And it's time for an episode here. We were a little delayed. It was supposed to release in May, but had some stuff going on. But better late than never, right? It's our live album review, our quarterly live album review with our guest Rob in Robin the Hood, the Hood on Twitter. You can find him uh, at the Recivitus, which will be linked in the show notes. So check that out too as well. But the album we're going to be doing is one of the, I think it's the biggest selling album for the band. 
And it's very common with a lot of these 70s live albums, a band that really couldn't capture the energy in the studio when they were recording their first few albums and then came out with the album At Budokan. The band is Cheap Trick, and we'll be talking about At Budokan in length today with my friend Rob. What's happening, man? How are you? Hey, Jay, I'm doing doing really well. I'm glad to be back talking to you again. Um, also really excited because since you're mentioning Abrams, the Denver Nuggets are on the cusp of possibly winning their first championship ever. So that's got me excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, outside the Broncos, you know, Denver really hasn't won a lot of championships. The Rockies, I don't think, have ever made a World Series. They and, um, they were close <laughs> yeah yeah it was like todd helton years and larry walker years but um yeah i'm hoping the nuggets win i always like it when a new team that hasn't won ever i mean they're not a new team so to speak but a team that's never won a championship i always like when a fan base is finally you know able to, to celebrate something after after their fandom for so many years yeah, my my fandom of the Nuggets dates back to the probably the late '70s, I guess. Um, um, and the the greatest physically gifted Nugget that ever played was David Thompson, who's unfortunately his career was kind of cut short. Uh, but I and you know the top scorer of the 1980s was a Denver Nugget. Are you aware of that? Is that Alex English? It was Alex English. That's correct. Yeah. So they've had they had a lot of um, like really good to great teams over the years, especially under Doug Moe, who was really good about squeezing every last bit out of the talent that was there. But they never had a a, a team that like dominated. And this, so this year's been pretty exciting. Yeah. I um, mean, the fact that they've been able to do it in a small market is something. Yeah. No, it's good to see. I'm glad, like I said, that a team that's never won it is going to be able to fulfill something for their fans that they've been longing for for so many years. Obviously, yeah. being a Cub fan, um, it wasn't their first World Series, but it was 116 years, you know, until they won, or 108 years, I should say. They won in 2016 when yeah. they won the World Series. And, you know, here I was sitting there at the time. What was it? I was 41. And, you know, my son was 11. He only got to wait 11 years. I had to wait 41 years. And <laughs> I know what that feels like to finally have your team win. Yeah, that's very cool. So, so congrats on that. Hopefully, they come through. They still got to win one more. So we'll see right. what happens. Right, right, right. But uh, back to the topic at hand. <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. excited. This this album that we're talking about. I think that this is kind of like this, and probably UFOs, Strangers in the Night was probably the high water mark for the live albums that really gave rise in the in the rock scene in the '70s. Um, and it it certainly tapered off as it went into the '80s. It's, We've talked about some great stuff that was from the '80s, but um, I think you're kind of reaching the uh, the apex of the popularity of the live album. And we have certainly talked about several bands whose uh, success was dependent on a live album, and I think that Cheap Trick certainly falls into that category. You're absolutely right. When you think of UFO, like you mentioned, and bands like Kiss, um, that's another one that really comes. Uh, Peter Frampton too, with his albums where would their careers be without these great live albums um right. you know the the biggest the biggest description or conversation about these albums is how it was able to capture the energy of these bands that was missing somehow in the releases of the album and the capture to capture the audience so into the band there was absolutely an audience for these for these great bands while they were coming up and 
by doing this live album, it captured more fans because they were like, why are these fans screaming and yelling and cheering and doing all these things and this bombastic atmosphere and this, it was, it was really something to be able to finally hear this band for what they were intended to be and how they were intended to sound. You know, you make, we make mention the UFO UFO would probably have been a forgotten band. Had it not been for stranger than night cheap trick in large part would have been forgotten. When you listen to, I want you to want me the studio version versus the live version. I mean, there's not even a comparison, right? There's not even, no. it just doesn't happen. Same thing with kiss. Those first three albums that they put out were, I mean, higher than hell was very poorly mixed, but again, it just, there was something missing. It didn't have that, that energy. And for some reason, after that, the three albums they released after a kiss alive was able to capture that. And for the most part, most of the albums that were released after these live albums did, they actually were able to figure out how to capture the sound of these bands and, and the rest is history, so to speak. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, if you if you spoke to the average person who knows Cheap Trick but isn't like a a committed fan, um, I want you to want me is obviously the one song that virtually everyone knows, and no one I don't think who doesn't own the studio album in color probably has even heard the studio version of the song just because it is so lackluster in comparison to the live version, and you can see why it's like it's something just lit a spark. And changed the entire character of the song and made it come alive for the, for the listener. You know, I was watching a lot of live Queen over the last week. And this is another band that really was able to capture something with, with their live presence and, you know, the way the crowd sung along to their songs. And I think the underlying theme with whether it's Queen or the three bands that we talked about, plus Peter, Peter Frampton and others, other artists that released live albums in the seventies was the really rise of the rock star through these albums. You know, when you think of the previous, you know, you had Zeppelin and you had Sabbath, you had the stones and the Beatles and, and whatnot. And even Sabbath never had a, a live album during their prime. Um, Zeppelin never did. The Beatles never released a live album. You know, the Stones, you know, other than Get Your Yaya's Out, was there, yeah. I, I don't know if they had a, had a live album too as well, but that came after the fact too. Right. Um, but when you see these performances and these performers performing, that's what really separated themselves to what modern rock is now what was before them too as well. I mean, there's personalities, there's things going on. There's, there's just uh, not just the, the music being played. It's also the performance with the energy and you know, whether it's cheap trick or whether it's kiss UFO queen, whatever, this really started to really define the rock star because we haven't seen a period between from the seventies to the early nineties anyone that's really embraced that, you know, yeah. I mean, you could probably say a couple here and there, but as a, as a large movement, this really was the era of that. And I think the live albums had a lot to do with that. And I think that the, the setting for this album um, in Japan uh, really showed how much rock and roll had expanded to a worldwide audience. and wasn't just a, like an Anglo American um, style of music that it really, really had a an audience across the globe especially i mean you listen to this record and you hear how um 
how much the audience reacts to the band and, and between them and obviously Kiss was had some great success in Japan as well. Um, it, it showed that that rock was much more of a, a force than than just a localized revamping of heavy blues. The one thing I, I would say about this album is it's just fun. I mean, when yeah. you just when you hear the the synergy and the band performing and just how comfortable they are with each other, it really comes out through the speakers. And when you hear the crowd reacting, the high pitched screaming that is present on this album and just what's going on with the music, it's just a lot of fun. It really is. And it just, it just captures again what this band is about. Cause Cheap Trick yeah. is a fun band. You know, I've made mention, gosh, the last time we talked about Van Halen, I forget who it was with, but we talked about Van Halen being a part of the pop culture um, and having a pop culture presence throughout the eighties, whether it was in movies and soundtracks and just who they were. Cheap Trick is very similar in in that regard, too. Cheap Trick had a big pop culture presence because they were always a band that was there and popular. And they had a couple mainstream hits, obviously. But they were always kind of like what the cool kids listened to, right? Yeah. You know, like, I remember getting my first job. Well, I, I was a paper boy and did some lawn stuff and some landscaping stuff when I was a kid. But my first actual real job where I got a paycheck every week was at a grocery store. And I remember the guy in produce, he was a few years older than me. And underneath his white shirt that he used to wear, he wore a cheap trick uh, <laughs> shirt underneath it. And that's what got me curious about cheap trick and got me listening to it. But it's they're such a great band. And I had the pleasure of interviewing both Rick and Dax earlier this year. And, um, you know, to interview one of the great legends of, of rock music was a treat, but revisiting this album over the last few weeks too, has been, has been a joy too, as well. Yeah. And I'd obviously, I, I assume that the following for cheap trick, um, was pretty dedicated, uh, in your neck of the woods just because they are from Illinois. Yeah. Uh, and, and you talk about the, the presence of Rick Nielsen. I think that he doesn't get as much discussion about being like a, a real, Man, the dude is a genius, and, and and his goofiness kind of like overshadows that to a certain degree. Um, but you listen to the, I mean, he he was the primary songwriter up through probably the first what five albums or six albums up until they brought in some outside songwriters. Um, and he he did this thing where he melt. It's like if you took Chuck Berry and he sat in with the Ramones and they played a Beatles song. That's kind of where Cheap Trick kind of came from, and he Perfect. would play things like. You wouldn't you wouldn't have like the one four five chord progression that you got in, in so many other songs. He would do something slightly counterintuitive, and and they would throw like a modulation in there. So in songs that you would think, like I listen to Surrender and I go, this song shouldn't work. The lyrics don't always rhyme. It modulates in a weird way. Um, it's it's just kind of a, a, a anti-intuitive approach to music and yet somehow they all bring it together i think it's because rick nielsen is a freaking genius <laughs> he is an absolute genius you know but you think of that song surrender and you think of that hook that chorus yeah <laughs> if you're a kid if you're a kid and you hear mommy's all right daddy's all right they just seem a little weird i mean how that, yeah. every teenager at the time yeah. it's just yeah. it's it's that's the genius part about it too is that you know, it's it's you know the the lyrics and the way the music and the and the arrangement is very kind of 
odd and very different pattern, but then it's got that killer chorus that just makes yeah. everything right. It makes it makes sense, makes everything make sense at that point. You know, when you think of this, right. you think of Dream Police, um, which is another one, which is just a, a a fantastic song. But you know, some of their deep cuts. That's the one thing that's so frustrating about Cheap Trick is the deep cuts are so great. You know, whether it's Big Eyes or Come On, Come On. Or um, houses rocking with domestic problems. Need your love, which is on this album too, as well. California man, Southern girls, just a catalog of great stuff, great hits yeah. that really is not appreciated by mainstream and the masses. I mean, it took him forever to get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but you're absolutely right. Chuck Berry with the Ramones and the Beatles is a perfect way to describe them because they do have that Beatles esque smoothness to them. Right yeah. where it just it just sounds pleasing to the ear somehow some way. Yeah, and I was I always thought it was funny. I heard, I heard somebody describing um, the album in color, the cover of it, and how you look at the front of it, and it's Robin Zander and Tom Peterson on the cover on their motorcycle, looking like every inch the cool rock star. And then you flip it over, and you got Rick Nielsen and Bunny Carlos sitting like it looking like complete goofballs, and, and that's this it's this weird melding of the rock star. And the sense of, of fun that, that, that they bring to it. That's just, uh, yeah. it works. <laughs> it does. You know, it really does. And, you know, like you said, a lot of the stuff shouldn't, shouldn't make sense or, it, you know, the song shouldn't be successful, but somehow it does. And yeah, I implore anyone who's listening to this episode to check out their catalog, man. Some of their deep cuts, um, for their first six, seven albums, some really, really good stuff that you'll be surprised how good it is. And you may even recognize some of the stuff too as well. Um, but getting back to the album, venue was Nippon Budokan, which comes you know from the name at Budokan in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, so we, fil- we filmed on April 28th and 30th in 1978 and released in Japan on October 8th. 1978 and wasn't until like four or five months later that was released here in the states in february of 1979 on epic records um but uh yeah just um a great album a great fun album one that is a must own for every music fan yeah uh, absolutely i think i feel like i've read that um perhaps at least some of the recordings that you're hearing on this record were actually done in osaka as opposed to just in Tokyo. I, and I think they, they took, they obviously used at least two shows to put together the, the, the final product, but I don't think it was all at Budokan, but um, I'm not sure what songs came from where. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. Um, first song is a perfect opener uh, for any live show for this band. And that's the short and sweet rock and roll song. Hello there, which, uh, as the first lyric, hello, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to rock? Which is, I mean, you're, that's, you're there for a live show. It's a perfect way to set up a show. Um, I absolutely love the song. I wish this song was a little longer, both the studio version yeah. and the uh, and the live version. But, yeah, it's a great way to open up a set, definitely. Yeah, it's it's got Xander's um, uh, power as a vocalist to get everybody going um, in there. It's from In Color, which most of the first part of the – record is from in color um and uh, one of the things i like about it as you, as you said it's it's pretty short uh, it leads straight into the next song and i always 
like that about live albums when there's like no break from one song to the next. Like you pick the audience up and then you don't, don't let them get a breath and they take it right into the next song. And right at the end of Hello There, um, you get a little taste of Bunny Carlos on the drums, which uh, I'm, I'm a big fan uh, of his drumming. I mean, I think that he he's kind of like the um, the compliment to Nielsen's guitar playing, where it's like there there are things that are familiar, but things that are not quite expected. And I think Carlos throws in like little fills that are almost like off time without ever losing the beat. Um, and I think that, like, if you look at the studio, um, track, Gonna Race Hell, you can certainly hear that. Um, but, uh, you get some of that in, in his live playing here and then it goes straight into the, the second track of Come On, Come On. Yeah. Gonna Race Hell is a great song. You know, we often talk about guitarists and their phrasing. We never really apply that to a drummer. And I think that can be applied yeah. to Bunny Carlos, the way he phrases the beat and what he needs to do in the pocket too, as well. Um, very underrated drummer, very subtle in his approach too, but a monster nonetheless. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure that Wolford Bromley based his look off Bunny Carlos. So. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned, you know, the going right into the second song, which is "Come On, Come On," which is what I, you know, mentioned. Um, one of the songs I mentioned when talking about like their deep cuts. Another great song, absolutely fantastic tune. One of my favorite Cheap Trick songs. Um, and glad that it saw, saw its way onto this, onto this album. Yeah. And it's, um, one of the things that I think you can, uh, make notice of from Come On, Come On is you can hear Rick Nielsen's backing vocals in it, which he's a pretty good singer and nobody ever talks about him being a good singer, but that makes sense. He has like this, the gift for melody and, and a hooky line. Um, and he does a pretty good job of all the backing vocals on this song. And I, I recognize that there, I'm sure that there are overdubs at work in various places, but there's enough energy, uh, in, in what you're hearing here that these vocals seem like they are contemporaneous with the recording with the audience. And so I'm just imagining him like pouring his everything into his playing and singing at the same time. I'm always amazed at people that can do that. Robin is, is a fantastic singer. A fantastic vocalist. And what I think really sets him apart from a lot of his contemporaries during this period was he had a real vulnerability in his voice too, as well. You know, like he had the range and he can hit the notes, but he had a little bit of a different emotion inflection when he sang. And, you know, whether it was angst or whether it was sadness or whether it was whatever, he was always able to capture that. And for me, you know, I always cite Robert Plant, Freddie Mercury, and and uh, Steve Perry is my top three. If I had to run out of top four or five, it would include Robin Zander and Paul Rogers. That's who I would I would choose as my top five vocalists. Robin is such an underrated singer and a great singer. Um, and the, the stuff, too, as is, is Cheap Trick went on with their career, you really got to appreciate what he was all about. Yeah, it's funny. He had um, he he really had two almost completely different singing styles that he incorporated into the songs. To where there, if someone didn't know the band and you were listening to the to the various songs, you might think that there were two different lead singers. I mean, one was kind of the uh, the more melodic, kind of sweeter sounding, smoother tone. But then he also had the ability to get like downright aggressive and growl at you, such as in Gonna Raise Hell. Um, to, to where you can see that he's got a lot of flexibility behind his abilities as a singer. He does. He does. And like I said, he's, he really does capture a moment. Or I'm sorry, captures emotion uh, when he's singing. And, and more so, I mean, 
than a lot of other vocalists during that period. He just had a very elegant way of of making you feel a song with the way he was singing. And I think it was a great match, too, with what Rick was doing and what Tom and Bunny were doing with the rhythm section. They just all had different ways of approaching the song, but they all came together. And it was very similar to what the Beatles would do. You know, all four of those guys had different approaches of how to approach a song, whether it was Lennon, McCartney, Harrison, and Ringo Starr. But for whatever reason, it all worked, and it shouldn't have when you think about it on paper. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things that's interesting about live albums, including this one, is when you get something that's included on it, a track that's included on it that you can't get anywhere else, where the band has, has stuck something in there that maybe it was intended to be on a record at some point and didn't quite make it, or, or sometimes a band will throw in a cover, um, and you see that here as well. But when we get to the third track on the, the album, that's exactly what you've got. You've got an unreleased song that you can't find in a studio, and that's Lookout. Um, and I always get excited when I see stuff that you can't find anywhere else. Yeah, that is something that really does separate this from the other live albums released during this time, because I don't think there is another band that did this, that put this out during the peak of the live albums in the 70s, putting out a song or playing a song live that no one really knows. Yeah, exactly. And and that actually gives some people incentive to go out and get the live album if they might be hesitant to do so, other than the fact that you shouldn't need incentive based on the energy on this one. Yeah, right. So look out, you know, I think it was played during their their early days, um, just never was able to make an album. Um, but you always ask yourself why. If they're willing to play it live during these shows, why why couldn't right. they find a place on an album? Yeah, you would think so. I mean, I, I know that, um, especially when before CDs were really, uh, a factor you, you had the the time limitations that, that vinyl would have if you didn't want to go to a, a double album and so i suppose you could always have this song that didn't quite get there because of the, uh, the strength of the other material and maybe that's the case here i don't know but it's a sad that there was never a studio version of it that we could get yeah on to big eyes which is another great deep cut song one of my favorites from cheap trick great tune um great the way the guitar is going in an opposite direction as the vocals are, and somehow they are able to kind of coexist together and sound good because Rick's playing something very different than what Robin's singing in terms of the approach, but it just yeah. works. Big Eyes is a fantastic song by Cheap Trick, and it goes over well on this album. Yeah, especially on the, the chorus. And, and, and now that we're talking about the song, this is one of those songs that'll get stuck in my head for days. Um, especially that chorus, um, with, 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 with Xander singing big guys and then the, the little Paul muted power chords that's, that, uh, Nielsen's doing underneath it. It's just, it's, it's very hooky. And, um, I'm going to have to listen to something else that'll get it out of my head because now it's going to be there. <laughs> yeah. Again, you know, if you're listening to this, big eyes is a, is a great tune. Cheap Trick has so many great tunes other than the top-heavy stuff for the big songs that you all know and love. But this is a prime example of, for whatever reason, some of these songs never punch through and the casual fans don't really know them. Maybe that's radio, the way the radio is, or just what the exposure is. But, yeah, one of the highlights definitely for this album is Big Eyes. The crowd really reacts really good to it, and the performance is awesome. Yeah, this was another song off In Color, which, is, like I said, this is... Uh in color or heavy uh, side of the album with only at this point, only lookout was a song that didn't come from in color, um, which is kind of a shame to a certain degree. I, I wish that they had included some stuff from their debut album on here as well. 
but uh, you can't argue with the strength of, of the stuff that's on there so far. Absolutely. You know, then we, we head into need your love, which in my opinion is the highlight of the album. Um, this, just the way the song jams out for gosh, almost like, what is it? 10 minutes, something like that. And, um, just all the stuff that's going on, the different arrangements, what they're doing, just some improv improvising. It really shows the band in a light that is not seen, definitely not seen on the studio albums, but for a band to do this and carry on like this for 10 plus minutes is really something. And it's a, a fantastic, just great energy, just a great moment. And on the live record, this is without question, my favorite cheap trick song. Um, I absolutely love this song because it it starts off so slow and then builds and it's got like the interlude and you've got like Nielsen's he's got like a chord solo that's in there. Um, the you hear, you know, Tom Peterson was an early adopter of the eight string bass, which like a 12 string guitar, you will have doubled courses of the strings where you have one that's like a, an octave above the other string. And you can really hear it in, in some of their songs because it has a, a, a very distinct chorusy effect. And you're, you're talking about a time before digital can manipulate any sound into making it something different. And I'm, I'm thinking he's using it to pretty good effect on, on this particular song. Um, it's also got um, two different vocal styles by Xander, such as we were talking about. I think there's an overdub on this song because I there, at one point I hear there's clearly a guitar in each channel. And I know that Xander plays some rhythm guitar on some of the stuff, but there's some of the intricacy that makes me think this is an overdone Nielsen um, guitar on this as well. I am a big sucker of a double time. And this song has got one in a big way. And that little riff that is in the double time, it's like, if I'm listening to this in my car, it just gets louder and louder. And I start driving faster and faster. I love this song. Um, it's that kind of an extended uh, bass riff on it that you don't find on the studio version. This is actually a song, I think that was not released at the time they played it because this later showed up on uh, dream police. Um, and this was prior, this was actually this, this album, the recording of this album was done contemporaneously with the release of heaven's night, the prior album. And so I think this is, this is pretty daring that they took this song that is so epic and unknown to the audience and played it and included it here. And, oh, my God, it's such a great song. It is a great song on the studio album. But like I said, this is the highlight for me for At Budokan. This is like, yeah. you know, you get through the first four songs, Big Eyes, Come On, and obviously open it up with Hello There. We got the un unreleased track, Look Out. But this song just comes to life, and it just, it, it, there's so much going on with it. And it's it's such a a great moment when you go back to the studio version you know, it, there's there's obviously a difference in energy, but it's one of my favorite songs. I my, if I had to go a favorite Cheap Trick song, I would probably go "Gonna Raise Hell." Hard to argue with that. Hard to argue with that. <laughs> gonna raise hell. But this 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 one this one edges "Gonna Raise Hell" out for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Both songs just have a a build, a tension, if you will, that is really a lot of fun to listen to because. It's just, it's, Need Your Love just has this rising momentum throughout the song. Like, it just keeps building and building. Where Gunner Ray's Hell just has, like, this friction that has, like, a little bit of anger in it. 
but not yeah. away. Yeah. And it's got it just it just stays in that place where it's just you it's you know and then when Robin sings Gonna Raise Hell and he growls, yeah, it's like yeah. that anger comes out, you know, and you got that, that just that constant beat of uh oh, just it's just great stuff. Go check out yeah. these songs, people. Listen, go on Spotify, wherever you get your music, and go listen to Cheap Trick and then order the albums. They're all fantastic. Yeah, you definitely need to buy this. <laughs> this is a must own. <laughs> Absolutely. On the side two with the cover song that you mentioned, which is the Fats Domino song, Ain't yeah. Not a Shame, which surprisingly is on this. You know, I would never expect Cheap Trick to cover Fats Domino, but here we are, and yeah. it goes over very well. And I think even this was put on their greatest hits album later on is to represent with I Want You to Want Me, the at Budokan record. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a great cover. I mean, you take, it's a different character from the original song. They, they put their own energy and rock and rollness into it. Um, you've got a showcase of Bunny Carlos here, um, that starts the song off. There's a missed beat in there where he, he misses it and then he like just keeps running going without, without ever losing the tempo. Um, uh, and there's an example. You don't usually associate Rick Nielsen with slide guitar, but he's got some in here. And then at the end, I, this is a, a good example, I think, of where you see Robin Zander actually playing because they have the traded off licks at the end of the song. And it sounds to me like they sound different enough. I'm pretty sure that half of it is Zander and then you have Nielsen on the other one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love the version. Uh, I don't believe they ever recorded a studio version of this either. No. Um, but it's definitely, you know, another a great moment for the record too, something different. And when you look at, Lookout, unreleased, need your love, unreleased at the time. Ain't that a shame? A cover, and then you've got another song coming up that we'll talk about that wasn't released at the time too. I mean, this really was a different approach to a lot of the live albums that had come out. None of the live albums that I know of had essentially four songs at the time that are not on any album. By yeah. the yet here we are putting the stuff out, and and maybe it made fans anticipate, oh, I got to hear this album. It's going to have this track on it. It's got that track on it that was on at Budokan. I don't know what the approach was or why they're, why that happened, but it's interesting to say the least um, it's, that it did happen. So, yeah, interesting stuff from, from Cheap Trick, why that happened. Yeah, it's um, and the, the audience is clearly involved. Um, and there's enough, this song has enough breathing room in it because of the pauses between the, the lyrics and, and and the playing that you 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 can feel the audience and you, you can feel that they're they're a part of the performance, which we've talked about before. That's one of the great things about live albums when the audience is actually uh, an entity that's part of the recording. Yeah, yeah. On to the big hit that really solidified this album as a must must have in any rock and roll fans collection, and that is the live version of I Want You to Want Me, which just comes to life and is what it is and the song that everybody knows. Yeah, the the note, I've got my notes here that I, I took while I was listening to everything, and I, this sums it up for me. This this is a million times better than the studio version that's on End Color. The studio version is, it, it almost induces a yawn because it doesn't have that that zip behind it, but the, the live version it's, it's no wonder that this became like the defining song for Cheap Trick. Um, you've got, as I just was talking about the audience participation, you've got them screaming, I want you back at Xander. And then 
Um, there's that breakdown vocal that's that's just the drum and the vocal, and it has all the hallmarks of an absolute classic live moment. It does. You know, that, that studio version is like an elevator song. It is. <laughs> it, it is so, like, unassuming and really nothing special. But hearing it live, it just it comes to life, like all this, all these things do and all these live albums have. And, yeah, the great moment of the crowd singing back to, to Robin because that piques your interest. Like, wow, they're really into it. Like, I need to check this out. And yeah, I'm a big yeah. hit. The studio version is never played on radio, only the live version, which which is pretty much all you need to know when it comes yeah. to this album, and this song. But this is really the the moment that took cheap trick out of the you know the basements of rock fans to modern rock radio and made them a big international act yeah this there's the studio version is is basically a forgotten song yeah. <laughs> and i i can't emphasize enough how much the difference is I, I people should go back and listen to the studio version just to see what a band can do with a song in a live setting to make it so much better yeah Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I, I think, too, when we talk about all these live albums, we talk about the energy not being recorded in the studio. But that's a great point. If you want to hear really what we're talking about, there's no better example than I want you to want me studio versus I want you to want me live. Listen to those two contrasts. And now you understand why the 70s became the live album era. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, even with, you know, we even talked about Thin Lizzy, you know, some of the stuff that Thin Lizzy had. 
you know, was they were unable to capture that energy too. And hearing live and dangerous, it's just goes without saying that this was needed for rock and roll to really become the seventies become pretty much the the most popular uh, generation of rock and most popular decade. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And you got the song being followed up with a song that ultimately became another big hit for them was surrender. Yeah. And Robin talks about this in the album. He's, you know, the song is going to be on our new album. It hasn't been released yet. He says this and they go into the song surrender. And, you know, for those who've ever listened to or watched fast times at Ridgemont high and yeah. <laughs> other movies too. I mean, this is a pretty much, uh, I think it's in like probably like three or four different movies during like the early eighties and stuff. And that in itself too, was able to help cheap trick capture some popularity and grow their audience. Yeah, this is where they actually ventured away from in color and, and played something off of Heaven Tonight. Um, and I, as I already mentioned, that you, you have some odd things about the song. You have the modulation where it goes up a half step during the mm-hmm. course of the song. Um, you have some unrhymed lines in it, which is the, is the kind of thing that usually makes it hard to click with an audience. But if you listen to this song, if you know the song at all, and you don't sing along with it, something's wrong with you. Yeah. Um, Especially when, when towards the end of the song, um, when they're screaming, we're all right, we're all right. I don't know how you listen to that and, and don't join in. <laughs> totally. Great song. And great moment. You know, I, I've always I had this stray thought as I was re-listening to it about the, the keyboard that's, it's, it's not, it's kind of deep in the mix. It's, it's definitely present. You can hear it in the song. And I almost thought this, this almost sounds like someone was playing around with the sequencer version of things from Baba O'Reilly. And then they, they kind of like overlaid it into this song. That's something completely else. Um, and I'm not sure where to go with that other than I hear a similarity there. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. They go listen to that again and, and see what you're talking about. And maybe I need to find out what I'm talking about. <laughs> we then go into good night now, which is kind of like the reprise of hello there. Um, I don't, it's good night now in any album. No, I think that they just, they just took the whole hello there and converted it into the end of the show song. Right. But again, you know, not on, not on an album. They decided to do this, which is kind of the quirkiness of cheap trick too. You know, the, or the quirkiness maybe is a better word there. There's a little quirkiness obviously with bunny and, and, and Rick, but you know, they they always kind of, were like a, a walk to their own beat and or dance to their own beat and and um it, it's just interesting how this band puts this album out and when you look at the 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 song list on here you know if you're a fan and you go and you like don't know any of cheap trick songs or how do you even know what you're getting at maybe that was the point yeah right yeah they weren't popular enough at the time for people to really care you know what i mean it's- yeah, and maybe yeah. that's why it was originally released as a a single disc live album, as opposed to some of the others we've talked about, which were double albums. Yeah, I, I don't know the backstory whether this was a make or break album for them. Um, I don't I, either. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously they're probably in a much healthier situation than Kiss was with Casablanca, but you know they had the three albums that they put out. And, you know, then they, they released at Budokan and, and I, I, it's an interesting question. Maybe if I get 
Rick on again, I'll, I'll, I'll ask him you know, what the situation was behind the scenes. Because when you look at the, the set list or the songs they have on here, basically four songs that were not on any previous album. And then you have it released in Japan earlier. What was the, what was going on in the background, the business side with this band? Were they being ready to drop? And maybe the record label said, Hey, let's throw a Hail Mary. Let's put out a live album. Don't yeah, well, what if, songs, yeah, don't worry about the songs. They're not, they're not popular enough for you to, for you, people to even really care at this point. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's the case. And they certainly made the right choice here with, with this one. Yeah. Uh, now, fortunately, um, even though Good Night Now is kind of a uh, show-closing song, they didn't end it with that one. <laughs> yeah, Clock Strikes 10, which is another great tune, another great deep cut from the band. Yeah, that's um, also often in color. This It's like, I'm listening to a song, and like, this is this is rock and roll personified in a song through the lyrics and, and, and so forth. And this, this has got a lot, it's a show-ender, but it's got a ton of energy behind it. And it gets it gets me going whenever I listen to it. Um, I think that when I started reviewing, uh, going back and listening to this album again uh, in preparation for, for this, I keep thinking, Clock Strikes in it. Man, this is a damn good song. Why doesn't this ever get any airplay? <laughs> right, right. You know, you just look at the background of, of this al- album when they were going to Japan. You know, they've often spoken about how this kind of was a parallel to Beatlemania with the way yeah. they were received yeah. in Japan. You know, very, you know, I think the, the female audience, the female fans were throwing flowers at them and it was kind of crazy with what they were doing and out there. And maybe that was the reason why they got this crowd reaction. They had to capture this and release it for, for people around the globe to, to hear it. Um, and then of course, you know, the, the, the phenomenon of, of just being the influences that, that it, spawned you know whether it's with the foo fighters or weezer or you know some of these bands that sound very much like them or have their influences in their dna i mean you look at the foo fighters album sonic highways and that whole show they did on hbo where they had different guests on and rick nielsen is the one they record in chicago and he's on i think the title track was sonic highways i think that's the song if i'm not mistaken i think you're right about that yeah and and, and just What's really not known or not appreciated by a lot of music fans is how much the bands that they love, the music fans love, whether it's Motley Crue, GNR, Foo Fighters, whoever it is, all love and cite Cheap Trick as a major influence in their music. And having this album catapulted that for these bands to to really thrive and and, and hear their music and be influenced by them. Yeah. Um you know, if you think about it, the name of the band actually kind of speaks to that whole sleaze rock kind of thing, even though I never really considered it that. Um, but uh, just the the image that the band's name conjures up fits that. <laughs> yeah, but there's so much going on with this band. You know, you've got the name, which is a really unique name. Um, you've got the quirkiness of Bunny and Rick with the rock star look of Robin and Tom. You've got these, and it kind of just fits the whole way they approach the music with just the whole yin and the yang. Maybe that's the way to put yeah. it. You know, when you talk about big eyes, where the guitar is doing something completely different with the approach to what how Robin's singing, but it all works. You talked about surrender at the beginning of the episode. How that song is not supposed to be a hit the way it's 
the way it's arranged and yeah. it's presented. It's just not supposed to be a hit. Yet it is. There's so many things about this band that are uh, polar opposites within the band that it just, you know, opposites attract. It's always a, the, the cliche term, but there's something to that, I think, with the way the band speaks to its fans and the way it speaks to the music is there's a different thing going on with the band that you don't really notice if, unless you dive deep into their catalog and into their music and their, and their, and their history. Yeah. And maybe it's those, those, those quirky things about them both musically and in the, the way they present themselves um, that really gives them staying power as opposed to just sinking into obscurity because this song sounded like everybody else because they don't. Right. Um, what, um, what songs are there any songs that you would have liked to have seen included on this that aren't there that were around at the time the recording was made? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you know, we, we know that they released the, the at Budokan two, which was more or less the, um, the songs that were not put on, you know, front that were recorded during those shows, but not put on, the the record you know so when you right. look at the complete concert track listing which they released on their anniversary edition i think it was their 30th anniversary um yeah uh, where they combined both budokan 2 right and i, I got to say o caroline which i would have loved to have been included on this even though it's it's on the um the anniversary edition uh southern girls of course california man yeah. Um, yeah, I would definitely, definitely love to hear that stuff. And I'm trying to think dream police wasn't out yet. So gunner race hell was on dream police. Right. Right. Yeah. So that wasn't on, um, but yeah, I, I come on, come on. And probably Southern girls speak now and forever. Hold your peace, which is really mm. interesting. Hello. Kitties is really cool. Oof. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a couple songs off their uh, debut album that I, I would have liked to have heard. Um, He's a horror is a good great song. Yep, great tune. And uh, the ballad of TV violence. I think those both would have translated well to a live setting. Um, and I'm, I'm just I'm sad that that the debut album isn't represented here. Yeah, I think you're, to your point, that's that's absolutely right. On top of the world is another one that I would have liked to have seen too as well. Um, if you go back into, let's see, in color, of course, is really heavily, uh, heavily on this record, right? Right. That, uh, you know, obviously with the, with the anniversary edition, you got the Southern girls and, you know, Oh, Caroline, but off the debut album. If I'm looking, he's at a horror. He's a horror is definitely my favorite song off that album. He's a horror is a great tune. In fact, that's why I picked up the vinyl when I was out in California, and then when I got a, I got a first edition Cheap Trick debut album. That's very cool. And that's something you, you don't ever hear on the radio. Yeah. Um, Assuming radio was still a thing. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen Hot Love is a good tune, and Cry Cry. Yeah, but I don't know if they kind of meet the, you know, the standard of of being able to perform in an environment like that. You know, just because <laughs> yeah. those are really those are those are both really deep cuts. 
Yeah, I get, every time I listen to this album, when I reach the end of it, I, I think partly, partially, it's the um, the energy that's behind it that, that I I stop paying attention to the lapse of time. Every time I reach the end, I think, "Damn, that's short," and it's really kind of a standard length single album, but it just feels like it goes by in a blur. Well, when you compare it to the other live albums, it really is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. UFO Strangers of the Night had how many songs on that album? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 15, 16. Yeah. I, and when you're talking about like Humble Pie's performance, another double album with, uh, especially with some longer songs on it. Um, but these songs are all, with the exception of Need Your Love, these songs are all, all fairly short and radio friendly length. Um, even though I would, advocate that need your love should always be played more often <laughs> i would like to know what the story was behind this album because there's a lot of things that are different than what was the standard at the time with yeah. the record and i just want to know was this a hail mary from the record label like man the three albums that you've put out just really are not connecting um go down to japan let's record this live album see what happens who cares what songs are on it? You're not that popular for even people to care. And let's just do it. And it worked out in their favor. If that's the case, I don't know. Again, I'm just speaking to just looking, reading the tea leaves, so to speak of right. how this album was laid out and presented versus what was going on at that time. And what was pretty common for a lot of bands who were facing, you know, losing their deal, whether it was kiss, I think then Lizzie was possibly going to lose their deal too with, with, with live and dangerous you know, especially American distribution because they just couldn't connect with in America. Um, UFO was another band that was just more or less underground at the time and then just blew up and became the biggest yeah. thing in rock along with Kiss. At, at, at You know, in 78, was that released? 78 on uh, Strangers of the Night? Oh, I think it was yeah. 79. 79? Yeah. Yeah, but, so I... So yeah. it makes me happy. That um, as as we mentioned, I think before you start recording, I, I am happy to see new live albums come out. Most of them are um, for lesser known bands, um, but the obviously I have a love of the live album uh, as a as a form of of connecting with the band, um, and the fact that it's not completely dead makes me extremely happy. Yeah, me too. I, I like hearing live albums um I, I at this age i i do prefer studio albums but a good live album there's nothing like it a band that's able to capture their sound and capture a moment and capture the energy it really makes you appreciate the band more because how many times have we been to a concert you, you and i both go to shows frequently where you hear a song that is just blowing your mind in a live setting and you go back to the studio version and you try to listen to the song yeah. as you heard it live. Yeah. Right? Like you're trying to hear the liveness of that. It's hard to do. It really is. Yeah. As you're, as you're saying that I have a song that came immediately to mind that I have steam played live um, twice. Both versions were slightly different and both differed from the studio version. And I was just completely blown away. The song is then came the last days of May by the question called, which is a deep cut by them off, off their early stuff. Um, and if you listen to the studio version, there's not much in the way of a solo that really does much for you, but I have seen them do it twice where I just sit there in complete awe of Buck Dharma as a musician and, and they, they take the song 
not just the next level, but way beyond it. And so there are certain songs that you cannot have a substitute for live performance. Yeah. A lot of bands these days, though, don't like to do it because a lot of things are tracked. A lot of things are pre-recorded. Um, it's very hard for a band to have that confidence to do that. I think back in the day, bands really earned their stripes by being yeah. pure, live, and authentic. And you wanted to show that to your fans, whereas now... You know, does a band really want to put out a live album and have people dissect it and say, that's being tracked right there. That's not real. So that's something yeah. to really consider. You know, I think a band of today's in today's day and age that would benefit from a live album, because I think everything is authentic up there, is Rival Sons. I think Rival Sons would definitely benefit from yeah. having a live album. Yeah, they certainly have a deep enough catalog that they could put together plenty of, of selections for a live album. And I when um probably about a year or so ago when you and I were talking about what what bands would be ripe for a live album? That was one of the ones that immediately came to my mind as, as to this. It's really needed to kind of like underscore their, their catalog to this point. Yeah. But there, yeah, there's a lot, of, it's a different world. There's a lot of differences between now and then, obviously, but you know, this album, again, one of the staples of the seventies live album era, it's an album that every rock band should own. And whether you're a casual cheap trick fan, a diehard or, not really into their catalog and not something that you listen to. I think go listen to this and then go listen to their studio stuff and listen to their albums. And there'll be songs that you've never heard of that are really catchy, that are really good and very simple, but complex at the same time. But that's the beauty of someone who knows how to, how to make it complex is to make it sound simple. And cheap trick is the master of that. Yeah, absolutely. When you hear something that you've never heard before, but it sounds familiar to you, that's when you know you've got genius at work. Yeah, it really is. So here we are again at the end of a great another live album quarterly review or quarterly live album review, I should say. And man, we've done some really good albums. We just, you know, obviously wrapping up the Cheap Trick album, we've done UFO, we've done Judas Priest, we've done Maiden, we've done Kiss, Humble Pie, Thin Lizzy. Anyone I'm forgetting on there? Uh, no, I think those are the ones we've done. Yeah, I know there's a couple, a couple that you've put on the 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 votes on Twitter several times that I know you'd really like to do. That being um, Motorhead's uh, live, Hammersmith, uh, No Sleep Until Hammersmith. No Sleep Until Hammersmith. Do that. Yeah, and then I know you'd like to do Live Killers too. So and those are yeah. both great, great albums to talk about. So I'm hoping we'll get to do those at some point. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to include ACDC if you want Blood on the next one. Great, great choice. Turbo yeah. will support that. <laughs> and um man, if I had to choose another one, maybe get your Yaya's out by the stones. Still I'm telling you, man, you gotta you gotta get on the Allman Brothers uh track. <laughs> I gotta do that. I gotta do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Rob, man, it's been a great episode. Thank you again for doing this. Always a treat every quarter when we do these and and uh till next time. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. I love talking about these things. Everyone Hope you enjoyed our discussion on Cheap Trick at Budokan, a great live album. Go get it. Go listen to it. Like I said, check out the anniversary edition, which has got all the tracks recorded during these performances. Go dive into their albums. I, I guarantee you, if you know, if you like, I want you to want me and Surrender and Dream Police and The Flame. I'm telling you, big eyes. Come on, come on. Gonna raise hell. Need your love. House is rocking with domestic problems. 
he's a whore, she's tight. That's not one song. Those are two separate songs. Uh, <laughs> uh, Southern Girls, California Man. It's just, it's incredible. So hope you enjoyed the conversation. Thanks to Rob. You can catch him at The Recividus on Twitter. Go check that out. Check out The Hook Rocks again wherever you podcast. Oh, don't forget to write us a five-star review. Please do. We always appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in, man. Thanks for listening, and we will talk soon. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.